This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's quite a weekend, friends. In the aftermath of the big announcement last week, I really appreciated all the well wishes and congratulations and all, all the rest of it. Thank you so much. Very exciting times here in the Freedom Hut. And just remember that the uh, Buck Sexton Show will continue every day as a podcast in addition to the uh, 12 to 3 slot that I'll be doing a show with Clay Travis starting June 21st. Oh, my gosh, are we ever fired up about this. It's going to be an incredible show. We're going to do great stuff. But you can also listen to just me ranting Buck style doing my going Buck wild on the Buck Sexton show. So if you're a podcast listener right now, you're still going to be getting that podcast every day. So just remember that and get ready for June 21st, 12 to 3, hundreds and hundreds of stations across the country. Your online data and identity is constantly under attack. That much we know. Big tech is constantly looking for ways to withhold and use your information to sell. So what's the best way to keep your privacy and operate in business and in your personal life when you're doing anything online? Introducing Secure, the 100% privacy and security-focused instant messaging and email platform located in Switzerland. That's the country where the world's strictest data privacy laws are in effect. Secure, spelled S-E-K-U-R, is hailed by privacy advocates globally with the assurance that their data is kept truly safe by proprietary technology. It's an independent platform with military-grade encryption methods. Your data is yours alone. Secure does not data mine, use, or sell your data. Experience the ultimate bliss of knowing that your privacy is not in jeopardy from the prying hands of big tech. It's time to take back your privacy. Welcome to Secure. Go to secure.com. Remember, it's very important you get this spelling because you got to be clear on this one. S-E-K-U-R.com. S-E-K-U-R.com. Please use the coupon code BUCK for one free week and 25% off. Be sure to use that coupon code BUCK so now you heard about it here on the show. Secure. Go to S-E-K-U-R.com and regain your privacy. I was in Miami over the weekend with my two brothers. And we had a great time together. Uh, I will tell you that Miami is not a place that you, at least South Beach, not a place you really want to be over Memorial Day weekend. There's so much traffic and they shut down roads. It's like they intentionally make the traffic worse. I even asked a cop about it. I said, why are you guys closing the causeway? The only real way in and out of South Beach uh, to one lane. They said, we're just trying to manage the flow. It's like, well, that doesn't seem like a good idea if you're trying to go someplace. But I, I had a great weekend with the brothers. We had a, a range day, went shooting on all day Saturday, tactical shooting stuff. Uh, and, and we had such a great time. I've got fantastic brothers. Their names are Keats and Mason. We only like strange names in my family. Anyway, uh, so we, we had a great day. But then I got word about what happened in a part of Miami. There's there a mass shooting. Three guys got it's all on video. Three guys got out of a uh, got out of an SUV and just started. They had semi-automatic rifles and they were at a a, uh, a rap concert and they just started shooting into a crowd. Two people dead, 20 people hit by by bullets, 20 people wounded. 
And this is just one of many incidents across the country that's getting attention right now in major cities on Memorial Day weekend. There is a, there's there's a lot of violence out there and we're seeing these these viral videos of it. We're seeing what's happening in place after place, whether it's the recent homicide numbers in Portland or the the punching in the face for absolutely no reason of an Asian-American woman uh, in Chinatown in New York City. All of these different incidents where you can see these videos of people who are being attacked, people who are being uh, shot, people who are suffering violence in our society when they should. You would think we would be safer than we've been in a long time considering that there's been so little human contact for for about a year because of COVID, relatively speaking, so little contact. But no, what we have is mass increases across the country in shootings and violence on the streets. And you have to wonder, what is it going to take for Democrats to understand that we have to do something about this, that this isn't just going to go away? There has been a change in perception among those who are willing to or prone to do violence that now is a time when they are less likely to be caught, less likely to be severely punished. The criminal element in our society thinks that they can act with a more free hand against innocence than they have in a long time, and it comes directly from the undermining of police. We see this. It comes from the narrative that cops are the problem when really cops are the solution. And when does it finally dawn upon Democrats that if they don't change course here, this is just going to continue to get worse and they will pay a price in the midterms. Finally, the corporate media is having to wake up to this reality. They've tried so very hard to hide this, to act like it's, not really something that's as bad as we're saying it is. They've done everything in their power to downplay this. But now we are finally at a place where they're seeing that the violence is not something that can be uh, discarded anymore, not something that can be completely covered up or not covered at all, really, by the by the media. And you know what part of this is? There's there's a deep incompetence from the top down of our government. Now, I know that law enforcement is primarily a state and local issue, but there is a tone that is set from the very top, a national conversation, a national perception. And when you have people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in charge, there is a growing sense among people that are having to deal with all of this of lawlessness. It creates a cycle. It creates a perception that things are deteriorating. They're getting worse. And what makes that even more challenging to deal with is that they when they finally have to look at what's happening, when when Harris and Biden and this White House and this Democrat party at the national level has to has to look at the situation, can't just avert their eyes anymore. They take the wrong lessons from it. We have violence escalating in this country. And what do Democrats focus on? What are we hearing about from them? Oh, that's right. A January 6th commission. That's what we that's what we really need to be hearing about. 
We need to be hearing about the January 6th commission as if that's going to make anyone truly safer, as if the real problem out there is that we haven't had enough of a focus on one riot that involved right wingers, one riot that did not result in a single fatality of law enforcement or a bystander, but did result in the, in a, in the death of Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed female protester shot in the neck. But the narrative that you hear from Biden is very similar to what you'd hear from, say, lunatic leftist Keith Olbermann, who if you if you follow his stuff on Twitter, I mean, this guy, I think he's in the process of a long, sustained mental breakdown. And maybe he's been in, in the midst of some kind of an emotional meltdown for many, many years now. But this is what you hear from Democrats. Cities are, are deteriorating. I mean, for Miami, which is a great city with great people, on its Memorial Day weekend, have a mass shooting. People just pulling up to a crowded, a crowded venue and shooting into the crowd. Three people. And this is, this is third world lawlessness kind of stuff. And you would think that there would be a sense of urgency to tackle this, to deal with it right away. It's Miami. It's Portland. It's L.A. It's New York. It's Philadelphia. It's Washington D.C. It's Detroit. It's New Orleans. It's St. Louis. You'd think that there would be some willingness to see what's really going on and to take some kind of action. But no, they'd rather talk about the January 6th insurrection. Play three. This is the attitude those of us who want democracy and not dictatorship must take. Republican-dominated states attempting to rewrite federal law or Supreme Court verdicts or the basic right of every American to vote must suffer twice as much as they try to make the rest of the country suffer. The Republicans are lost. They are committed to Trumpism. They are committed to refusing all election outcomes they do not like. They are committed to violence. Faced with the existential issue that the demographics of the nation will make them into a permanent minority, they are willing to sacrifice everything, including you and me and this nation's future, to retain their power. It is like invasion of the body snatchers. They are gone. Stop trying to negotiate with them. The Republicans' naked attempt to overthrow the government last January was just practice. These are bullies. And bullies stop only when they are hurt more than they can hurt. And the anti-democracy party must be hurt so badly that it can never recover. This guy is out of his mind. He's great. Just remember, MSNBC used to pay this guy millions of dollars to be their biggest host at 8 o'clock. Just, I want you to remember that. This guy, this lunatic. They tried to overthrow the government last January. Yes. How exactly? How are a bunch of unarmed uh, unarmed uh, rioters going to overthrow the government? How was that? I just want one of these leftist lunatics. I just want one of them to explain to me how this plan was supposed to come to fruition. I mean, what were they going to do, a sit-in? Well, Democrats do that in state capitals and other places in Congress. They do that whenever they want. That's not going to overthrow the government. What were they going to do? Was QAnon Shaman really going to withstand an assault from, uh, from Metro SWAT, from the National Guard, from you know FBI tactical teams? What was he going to do? He's going to throw his spear at them? This is, this is very damaging, though, because... 
They use the exaggeration of January 6th. They exaggerate what happened on that day. They use this to bludgeon the other side, to bludgeon conservatives into silence, while the true authoritarians continue to be the Democrats. The true authoritarians in this country vote for Biden and Harris and our leftists and our Marxists and our communists. That's what's really happening in our society. But they have this narrative that they think excuses or erases the reality of what you and I can so plainly see. The only violence they want to talk about is a a day that the violence was against a protester, a rioter, and not actually lethal against the state. Meanwhile, day in and day out, people who live in our cities, our fellow Americans, our neighbors, people are being shot in ever-increasing numbers month to month, year to year, because of the undermining of law enforcement and the abandonment of rule of law and individual responsibility in society as a foundational principle by the Democrat Party. Because what do they offer us up instead? Oh, we'll just spend more money and teach more critical race theory. And that's really going to solve the problems. That's really going to make everything seem so much better. I eat no for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, So have I been told many times during my career um, things from, oh, you're too young. It's not your turn. They're not ready for you. Um, No one like you has done it before. I've heard all of those things many times over the course of my career, but I didn't listen. And I would encourage anyone who's been told that, whatever their gender, to not listen, because, again, don't be encumbered by the inability of others to see the potential of who you are. Why would I make you listen to some Kamala Harris stuff there? Why would I make you do that? You, you might be asking that question. I understand. It's a fair question for you to ask. Well, it's because I want you to really understand this is the vice president of the United States. And everything she says sounds like a nightmarishly boring, um, just boilerplate HR seminar. I mean, this this is the person, she reminds me every time in my life when I've worked for a a company or, you know, back in in college or something, and I had to sit through some, you know, know, Charlie Brown mom kind of like, what, what am I, why am I being talked to this way? Kamala Harris gives a speech, and it's as inspiring as listening to an airline attendant tell you about how to put on the seatbelt, right? That's what, that's what it reminds me of. You just sit here, you go, why, why do I have to listen to this? This person is really the second in command, in a sense, of the United States government? Oh, she's already backing away from the border. You know that? They're, they're already saying, well, that's not really... That's not really her issue. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But she was at the Naval Academy giving a graduation speech over the weekend. And she got a lot of heat because it was Memorial Day weekend. And she put out a tweet that was basically, you know, have a great weekend, everybody. And people were like, okay, do, do you know what the weekend's about? Do, do you know what people are thinking about for this weekend? What, what it brings to mind? No, no, she... Did not, did not give that much thought at all. 
And yet Kamala was at the Naval Academy giving her speech. And um, let's just say that she she sunk her battleship, so to speak, did not make it through the Naval Academy speech. It was not a, a good speech. And this is the kind of stuff that the, in a sense, deputy commander in chief, I know that's not really a, a title, but here's the kind of stuff that she was saying at the Naval Academy. One country's carbon emissions can threaten the sustainability of the whole earth. One country's carbon emissions can threaten the sustainability of the whole earth. Oh, gosh, we should. What do we do? Yeah, what are we going to do? If that's true, shouldn't the climate change movement just be lobbying China every day to change what it's doing? Why does the climate change movement in this country even bother with what America's doing when at the end of the day, if China doesn't change its ways, we're, we're not going to be able to avoid the catastrophic warming they say is going to happen? Well, you all know the answers to this. But, you know, I, I'm showing you this stuff. I'm telling you about this stuff, whether it's with about Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, um, because the fact that these are the people who are in charge explains so much of what you see going on. Yeah, a lot of things are still functioning. Well, we're still America. We're still a great country with incredible people who are doing amazing things every day. But when it comes to governance, when it comes to those who are given power to make decisions for the benefit of this nation and to defend the Constitution, we have people in charge. You say, I, I can't believe they're in charge of anything. I mean, Joe Biden, I have to ask you, would you hire? I know there are a lot of business owners who listen to this show. Would you hire Joe Biden to do anything for you? you Customer relations, work in the package room, whatever. I think the answer is no. No, you would not. And and with Kamala, with Kamala Harris, I mean, Democrat voters, in, in essence, already really passed their judgment on her at the national level when she could barely get any attention, uh, any support when she ran for president. But now we got Kamala Harris lectures happening all the time. This midshipman is the era we are in. And it is unlike any era that came before. So the challenge now, the challenge before us now, is how to mount a modern defense to these modern threats. So let me share with you, for example, a personal experience. A few years ago, when I was in the United States Senate, I visited the USS Scranton. Uh, it was outside of San Diego, California. I know, it's so, it's so boring and so uninspiring that, I, again, I don't want to take up your time. I never want to waste even a minute of your time. But you need to hear, this is the vice president? Really? This is this is what uh, what we're hearing from you know she she had a a particularly uh, rough time in this speech I, I think everybody really understood that it was it was uh, it was bad um, there's actually a here you go there was a line she made a joke um, she said just ask any marine today would she rather carry twenty pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel. And I'm positive she will tell you a solar panel, and so would he. 
Okay, so yeah, female Marines with solar panels. That's that's really that's the future of the United States military now, according to Kamala Harris. <sighs> Friends, um, it it really is like the the third tier professors somehow gathered together in the faculty lounge and and came up with how they're going to run the United States federal government. That's what you're go- that's what you see happening right now. Fortunately, there are. Still checks and balances in the system. There are places like Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis and and even Governor Abbott in Texas is doing some good stuff to fill in the gaps here, the gaps in governance. But it's not going to get any better with Biden or Kamala, I can assure you. You know how important small businesses are to me. And for a few weeks now, I've been telling you about an amazing company based out of Charleston, South Carolina, called Allegiance Flag Supply. I absolutely love their story. Three friends who noticed that the American flags they had in front of their houses that were constantly getting tangled, mildewed, torn, or shredded decided that they were going to do something about it. They searched high and low for a better flag, but big box stores and Amazon purchases only turned up flags that were made in China. Or if they were made in the U.S., they felt mass-produced and they came out of some big machine with cheap materials. Like you and me, the flag means more to them, so they decided to do something about it. They started Allegiance Flag Supply out of their own garage and have built the company from the ground up. No investors, no loans, just their blood, sweat, tears, and time. Today, they make the best American flags and accessories you could find on the market. So if you've been looking to purchase a flag for your home or you're tired of your flag getting tangled or torn up, shredded, happens very quickly, go to Allegiance Flag's website, showallegiance.com. That's the website, showallegiance.com. Dot com. You'll find the highest quality American flags. Go to showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your purchase. Get your flag for the upcoming summer season again by going to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's promo code BUCK for 10% off when you go to showallegiance.com. I've always made it a point to pay attention to when people are happy for you and when they're not. I've always made it a point to call, for example, friends of mine, not only when they're successful in something, but also when they've had a big uh, downturn in some regard. If, if friends of mine have ever lost their jobs, because you, you remember that. You remember when people reach out to you when things are tough, and you remember when people reach out to you and congratulate you. Uh, these are things that I will tell you. You, you learn a lot about individuals in, in those moments. And I, I was honestly so thankful for people in my life, but also in in conservative media uh, who had really nice things to say when the announcement was formally made last Thursday that I will be, and and I try to be very specific about how I say this, and I've been thinking, reflecting on this a lot over the weekend, I will be taking over a portion of the radio time slot formerly held by the great Rush Limbaugh. That's, I'm not replacing I'm not taking over all of it. I'm taking over a a portion of the time slot. I will be premieres show uh, with Clay Travis, the two of us together in that time slot. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. That's it. There's no replacing Rush. And you know, I'm, I'm very clear on that. Rush is the giant of our industry, right? You know, if you if, if you come after Henry Ford, you know, who is the who is the CEO of Ford Motors, you know, after Henry Ford? Can any of you think 
Now, it might have been a great CEO, but, you know, there's Henry Ford, there's everybody else, right? Who's the, I'm just trying to, you know, Steve Jobs, well, that's recent enough. Maybe you'd know that it's uh, the other guy whose name is Tim Cook. But Tim Cook is great, and Apple's the most profitable, or, you know, the most valuable it's ever been, but he's not Steve Jobs. So I get this, and, and, I, and I, want to, I really want to establish that level of, of respect here. It's important. I also want to say that the people who are in my business who went out of their way to say nice things, especially, look, when they reach out to me privately, that's great, but also when they say something publicly about it, it's really meaningful because I'm a guy who I will tell you in this business, I've been, I've just been grinding it out for a decade now and there have been some, some things that should have gone my way, I think, that didn't here and there. Uh, There have been some TV opportunities that I was very close to getting and and did not get for whatever reason and you know and that's by the way that's a part of being in media and I, and I understand that but you know I've had some some close calls where things would have been very different in a very good way but I had to just keep on doing what I do I had to keep on showing up doing the best possible show that I could and having and focusing on the work that's always been my thing I focus on the work you'll note I, I don't I don't get into petty things with people I, I don't spend my time I certainly don't spend time on this show uh, criticizing or, or, or attacking uh, other conservatives. If anything, I want to I want to uplift them. I want to have great guests on my show and I want to praise people on the right who are doing good work in media. So there are the people that were very nice to me and they're uh, recently or, you know, said very nice things. And I want to take a moment to say thank you to them. Um, and then there are also the people that I owe my career to at some level. Rush is one of them. My feeling on this has always been that Rush Limbaugh gave me and he had to he had to approve it and bless it. So he really was the one who gave me my big break filling in for Rush Limbaugh many times. But even just that first time, I think I was the youngest person to ever do it. And that was really meaningful. Um, That was a big break in my career. But Rush gave me my big break. Glenn Beck who is a premier radio host and and honestly a a giant in conservative media, he gave me my start. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing what I do right now without Glenn Beck. And I I really want to say that to you. And that's not, you know, I I wouldn't be successful and and have have had some of the opportunities, especially this most recent opportunity of going in 12 to 3, starting June 21st, hundreds and hundreds of stations across the country with my co-host Clay Travis. I wouldn't have that without Rush. So clearly I owe a huge debt to Rush. But I wouldn't have even been in the game without Glenn. I wouldn't have even started this. And Glenn actually told this story. You've heard me tell it before. He told it on his show last week. And just, you know, his team reached out to me and Stu Bergier, who is a uh, uh, I think I said Bergier, Bergier, pardon me, <laughs> but Stu, I just know him as Stu. Stu is a great guy, and he reached out to me and said congratulations, and it was so kind. That would have been more than enough for me. I mean, it's just nice to hear from people in the indus- industry who have good things to say. But Glenn really, really went the extra mile for me. And, you know, Glenn's a guy who I don't talk to him a lot these days, but he knows that I I respect him, I appreciate him, and if I ever saw him, uh, you know, I, and I mean, if I bump into him somewhere at a venue or something, I mean, I, I give Glenn a hug. We're, we hug. That's how I feel about Glenn Beck. Here's what he had to say about the announcement last week. 
They have just announced a replacement for Rush Limbaugh, and I couldn't be more excited and thrilled. It's two people. One of them is Clay Travis. Clay Travis, I don't you know more because he's he's mainly came from sports, but I'm a big fan of what he's done. And I am so excited that a friend of mine uh, and a former co-worker, Buck Sexton, yeah. is going to be the second half of the partnership, the duel that will replace Rush Limbaugh. How awesome is that? Former, yeah. he was a Blaze uh, contributor. He I, worked here for a long time. He was, he was going national security. Uh, yeah, uh, he was national security. Us. He sat there in my office. I don't even know, fifteen years ago, and uh, and I said, "You need to work here." And he said, "I I'm, I'm going to work on Wall Street." And I said, "Uh huh, you need to work here." And I don't remember how it happened, but that's what he did. He came to work for us. Uh, and was very, very popular, very fast. Uh, started his own uh, radio show with Premier, and now is going to be part of the team that is replacing Rush Limbaugh. And nobody replaces Rush Limbaugh, but and I know these guys no, but, both have a healthy respect for that. But they can, you know, they're really powerful, interesting, smart guys. Really, yeah. really smart. Uh, I think this is going to be a powerful duo. Uh, Clay, welcome to the family, Buck. I couldn't be more proud. Congratulations. Congratulations. I honestly got a, I got a, I got a frog in my throat when I heard that, when, when Glenn said that. So that was really meaningful. And what Glenn said there, the the only thing that he did, it was 10 years ago, not 15 years ago, (laughs) but I mean, it feels like, feels like 20 years ago, but it was 10 years ago, almost to the, almost to the day now. Oh my gosh, I just realized this. It was I think it was June 5th of 2011 that I sat in Glenn's office. Right around there. I'd have to go back and look at a calendar, but it was like the Wednesday of the first week of June, I sat in Glenn's office in Midtown Manhattan. And it's just like he said. He he said, you know, I I told him what my plans were. Why did I have that meeting? Because one of his people heard about me. And they just wanted me to maybe contribute some articles for their new website. That was the story at the time. And I knew a lot about national security and counterterrorism. So I was going to write articles for their website. And Glenn, to his to to my, you know, everlasting gratitude and to his tremendous credit, talked to me for an hour. Just the two of us just sitting there, just talking about everything conservative media. He says, no, 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 you're coming to work for me. You're going to work here. And I love that he said co-worker. I was his employee. He's being very kind. I was his employee, but he's being nice. You know, I was working for Glenn when I came on board. And it changed my life. Glenn Beck changed my life. And, I, and I've said this before, and I think people really need to, to know this, because if you, if you listen to the show, if you consume conservative content, the Blaze, which I know is doing really well now as a website, and there's a whole bunch of other talents that are doing great over there and everything. But when the Blaze got started, when it got going, that place was ninja school for young conservative pundits, writers, authors, radio hosts, TV show hosts. It was incredible. The people that came through there, uh, if, if you think back to it, in the early days when I was doing a show called Real News, it was... Uh, Will Kane, now at Fox, he was my co-host there. 
Pete Hegseth, he's at Fox. He was on our show all the time. Uh, we, we had so many folks come through. Lawrence Jones comes from, he got his start at the Blaze, comes from the Blaze. I, I, honest, I can't even think. Katie Pavlich, Guy Benson, used to be doing the Blaze all the time before they got picked up at Fox. I, I think back to all the people that went through there. You know, Tommy Lahren got her start, really. I mean, she was at One American News, but she really blew up in, uh, at the blaze. And it gave so many of us a start in a business where it's really hard to get that. And, and Glenn deserves a tremendous amount of credit. You have a better, more robust, more talented conservative media, period. Because of Glenn Beck's vision to start GBTV and the blaze. And he is the reason I'm even in this industry. So, you know, I get a little choked up when I hear the guy that gave me my start, the guy that changed my life. Let me pursue my passion and let me make a real difference in this country in whatever way that I have been able to. And hopefully we'll be able to do a bigger one of the future. To have Glenn, I mean, it's it's like getting a hug and a and a. I'm proud of you from my Obi-Wan Kenobi here. That's what it feels like. There's somebody else. There's somebody else out there who had very kind things to say and is a, a great guy. And I really appreciate not only what he said about me, but what he does for conservative uh, conservatism day in and day out. And I'll get to that in just a second. Some people in this business are really generous and really supportive, and I appreciate them. Uh, there aren't very many of them who are like that, but there are some out there who are willing to give a, a high five and a congratulations to other people in the field. They're not just thinking about themselves. I was just talking to you before about what Glenn Beck uh, had done for me uh, and how he changed my life, and so I'm forever grateful to the guy and, and also, I just I do really re just respect him. He's a great storyteller. He's a great talent. He's done a lot for conservative media, not just with his own work, but also bringing into the business people like me. There are a lot of folks who do this. You know, if you like Lawrence Jones, if you like Will Kane, if you like, you know, uh, I can't even think of them all off the top of my head. So many different talents got started with Glenn at the blaze. So he's done a lot for conservatism. Another person who is doing a lot for conservatism and conservative media and for this country is Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino has been a friend to me. He's advised me on things. He's spoken to me at detail at length about conservative media strategy and how we get our messaging out there. And, and as you know, he's involved in Rumble. He's involved in Parler. And I've been a huge supporter of his efforts to make those platforms happen because that allows conservatives. We're creating those spaces. We're creating those platforms to be able to have our message heard. This is essential. We're not going to win unless we have these things. But also, Dan's just a good guy. He's always been an honorable guy. And, and I... I appreciate him in this business. And he had some very kind words to say about my announcement last week. And I, I want to let you hear them. And then I want to say a few words about Dan. So yesterday, uh, a friend of mine, Buck Sexton, 
Um, and Clay Travis, who I don't know, but I've heard is a good guy. Don't know him, never met him before in my life, but I do know Buck very well. First off, I want to sincerely congratulate both Buck Sexton and uh, Clay Travis. I don't, again, I don't know Clay, so I don't want to be disingenuous, but I heard he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I do know Buck. Buck is a great guy. And I know they're both very talented and have built very, very good quality audiences by producing great product. So I congratulate them on their success. Very kind words from Dan and deeply appreciated. Uh, what he said there is true. Dan, Dan and I have known each other for years. Uh, we have both filled in for uh, Sean Hannity in the past on radio. And Dan has earned. And th- this is really this is something that I I think you need to know. There are some people who are in this business who, you know, they got a family member or they they have a leg up or something. or They got a famous last name. Dan Bongino has earned every every pair of eyes, every pair of ears he's got himself through talent, hard work, determination. And he's been willing to tell people like me some of the the things that he's picked up, some of the what things that have worked for him along the way to help other conservatives because he wants our side to win. He's a warrior for our team. He believes that what's what's best for the country is what's important first and, and foremost. And, and anybody who's with him, anybody who wants to, to do their part in trying to fight for the values that we all share, he'll actually give a hand up. That is rare in this business. There are a lot of people, and I, I'm not going to name the people who aren't generous this way. I mean, last week there were there were a couple of folks who maybe made an announcement or something on the day of, of my announcement. You know, there were a couple of people out there, but I, I don't want to focus on anything negative. I don't want to do that because that's not that's not what I'm about. I was, you know, there are a couple of folks I was a little disappointed in last week. Um, so instead of talking about them, I'd rather just say thank you to Dan Bongino, a great warrior for conservatism. Um, he is going to be the cumulus Westwood One host, as you know, from 12 to 3. And Dan, Dan does a great show, and he's a great guy. And he has always been. So if you're ever wondering, it's like, what, is, what does Buck think of Dan Bongino? This here, on the record for all of you, I like Dan Bongino a lot, and he's earned every bit of his success. And he's obviously been phenomenally successful, particularly in the last few years in conservative media. He's earned it. A lot of respect for that. And then there's, of course, Glenn Beck, too. And... uh you know, what can I tell you? Glenn changed my life, right? So Glenn and Dan, thank you to both of you so much. And to say the things you said, I know they both meant it. I know they both meant it. And they didn't have to say it, and they did it anyway. They're good guys. They're quality individuals. And I'm honored to have worked with them and, and been a part of the movement that we're all fighting for alongside them. Shields high, as we say. It's almost like the corporate Democrat-aligned media is suddenly discovering that there's violence in a lot of American cities that's getting worse and worse month after month. Places like Portland almost seem out of control. Is this really sudden? Is this really something they've just figured out? Let's get our friend David Harsanyi in the mix. He's a senior writer at NationalReview.com. Go check out his latest pieces there. David, great to have you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. What do you think about this? I mean, how could they not know that this is what's going on? Well, I mean, they knew, obviously. Right. No, I, I know they knew, but you know what I mean, right? Like, it's like, oh, I guess we have to cover this now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, last summer, you know, it was a presidential election going on, so it was inconvenient for them to discuss, you know, widespread leftist violence. Now, I'm not saying these people are members of the Democratic Party, but they're leftists. They share some of the common goals of, of some Democrats. And, uh, you know, they were involved in the most expensive riots in American history. You know, over a billion dollars, I think it was, insurance companies had to pay out. Um, and you wouldn't have you would have thought that, uh, you know, there were just some, you know, mini uprisings here and there and that had nothing to do with leftism. And then now, you know, in Portland, where there's a huge spike in crime, some of it due to depolicing and, and you know, defunding the police, you know, they have to cover it. And they try to frame it as, you know, some wild extremists have hijacked the movement. But that's not what it really looked like to me, at least when it was happening. And I I have to say, I, I want your analysis of. What's really going on in the minds of people who say public and I'm talking about those who have platforms, who have influence, who say that defund the police is a good idea or something to be pursued. I, I have a hard time believing that anybody is that stupid, but it's also surprising to me because it seems that they don't care that they're being shown to be that stupid every time they say it. You know what I mean? This, this is something that it's such a foolish idea. It's so counterintuitive to any rational person that it should be embarrassing to say out loud. I think there are people who know better who say it, David, but they're not embarrassed to say it. Yeah, because they can join this movement and they, you know, and they'll be praised by the right people and no one's going to call them out on the TV shows they appear on and so on. So you know, first it was defund the police. And then, you know, when it started to maybe hurt Biden and other Democrats, then all of a sudden it was, well, we don't, you know, it just means redirecting funds and stuff like that. Well, why didn't you say that originally? But even then BLM activists would be like, no, we don't want cops. You know, we want to defund the police departments. And, you know, I'm not sure people know this, but we are not a heavily policed place. In, in many countries in Europe, for instance, there are more cops per capita than there are in the United States. It's not as if, you know, police forces are huge in this country and involved in our lives in the, in the way they are in many other countries. And uh, to, to defund the cops who are protecting quite often, you know, the most vulnerable populations in this country is insanity. You're not helping the people you're supposed to be, you know, supposed to be fighting for. And that's not to say there aren't bad cops here and there, but the idea that, you know, you 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 sort of make every cop look like a villain and you want to defund those departments. It's just it's it's counterproductive and insane. And I, I just can't believe any responsible person would would sign up for something like that. David, we're speaking to David Harsanyi, everyone from NationalReview.com. Do you think that, that that already the the numbers, because they look so bad? I mean, you had last year the as, as top 50 cities, I think, had an average of 40 percent increase in shootings. Uh, or, or it might even been in homicides, but it was definitely in shootings over the last uh, the, the previous year. Are the midterms just already starting to crop up in the mind of, of Democrats? Is, is that already what's pushing? Because you can tell there's a, there's uh, the, the the defund the police chorus is getting less loud and prominent in the Democrat Party. And it seems like they're they're not they're not pivoting toward law and order. But they realize that this is starting to become a liability or, or do they? Um, I think most do. I mean, it depends where you are. You, ha you know, if you're someone who's in a completely progressive district, sometimes, uh, you know, a completely 
you know, well-to-do, prosperous, you know, dominantly, you know, white neighborhood, then you get to say things like that because it doesn't affect you. Um, you know, if you're in in a, in a in a suburb somewhere of a you know of a major city where crime is starting to creep creep out towards you and things like that, you're probably worried about it now. And if you're an African American, maybe in a, in an area where where crime is on the uptick, you might you might be worried about it. I don't think defund the police is as popular with uh, Black Americans as it is with you know the activist class white Americans. So. Um, I think it's troubling, but I think there are kind of politicians in the Democratic Party now that don't really care, you know, about that district in Pennsylvania that has to be held. That's a purple district, you know. So um, I think for Joe Biden and for leaders of the party, it's going to be problematic. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the stories you're seeing and a lot of the, you know, backing away, as you say. Speaking of David Harsani, senior writer at National Review. David, how, how are you feeling about the return to normalcy? In this country, you know, I, I saw you had Pete Buttigieg over the weekend saying that wearing because because, you know, I, I, I flew. I was down in Miami and, and came back, uh, you know, after being down with my brothers who lived down there for a few days. And all, all they just goad me now with, you know, oh, yeah, our governor's DeSantis. Who's yours again? I'm like, yeah, it's Cuomo. It's Cuomo. I know. But uh, the masks on planes, for example, you know, masks on planes, um, they Say that we should do this. Pete Buttigieg says we should, says we should do this because it's about being respectful. I mean, we this is really what we've turned into now. Now this is like a cultural signifier for people. Yeah, I thought it was about science, right? And then now it's about respect. I, I you know, I I went to the supermarket the other day, and basically I was the only person without a mask on, and just I don't understand why we all got vaccinated. Um, I think there were 20 cases, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this, but something like 20 cases in my county today. You have to, you literally have to go and try to get sick, and you probably couldn't right now. And yet everyone's wearing masks. So I don't really understand it. I don't, I, it's become sort of a religion, a right, you know, R-I-T-E, to, to wear a mask and show that you care more. I don't even know what it's about. I care about the science, you know, and legitimately care about my you know, not getting sick in my family. And we're all, you know, we're, we're done with this. We're over it. And people can constantly still want to maybe relive it. I don't know what it is. Um, but I'll tell you something. It is scary how, how easily, uh, to me at least, and unexpected in a way, at least where I live, maybe it's not this way everywhere, how easily people um, were cowed and listened to authorities and allowed the state to dictate what they were wearing and what they were doing for an entire year. And some people still can't get over it. I think that's pretty scary. It's a scary thing that I didn't, you know, where it's chilling in a sense how easily that can happen. And you wonder, next emergency, is it going to happen again or are people going to rebel? But when you see them all walking around with masks still, you know, you wonder. Well, I also feel like they they were able to very quickly weaponize public fear for political purposes, not only against Donald Trump, but also the, the way that dissenting voices, I mean, we're a country, David, that I think likes to believe that free speech is more than just a, a legal issue and legal um, uh, legal protection, but also is a principle like there. We have this concept of we should be able to share ideas with each other without restriction, without re- without reprisal, um, certainly from the government, but also from corporations. You know, we, we should allow for the expression of ideas that we disagree with so we can at least hear each other out. That was absolutely not what happened during the pandemic. Uh, you know what my position we've ha- we've been having you on, 
you know, regularly during the pandemic. And I, I would say that whether it was on lockdowns or masks or or any number of, of major issues of school closures uh, of public policy when it came to covid, there was a real embrace of top down authoritarianism from from both the government, which shut down churches and and did violate con- the Constitution um, and also just across our culture and across corporate America and big tech. And I, I find I don't think that this is something that we can ignore. I think that this is something we have to actually dive into more and really get an understanding for how deep this went and how problematic it is. Well, yeah, you make two important points there. One is that the ideals that we live by, the freedoms that we live by are not just freedoms because they're written. In fact, it has nothing to do with them being written down by the state. It has to do with something that we're born with. I mean, that's what uh, the Constitution and Declaration of Independence tell us. So if you believe in free speech, it's not just simply because it's written down. You believe in it as a value. I mean, tons of constitutions in Europe and Asia have free speech rights written down in their constitutions. But of course, they're not followed. Right. So, you know, that that's important. And the second thing is that, you know, people are or people in mainstream media now are obsessed, still talking about January 6th all the time. Listen, I think it was a bad thing and all of that. But the authoritarianism we saw over the last year was far more dangerous than anything a bunch of bozos did over there at the Capitol, in my opinion. I mean, you have um, governors acting without any, you know, just top down, completely unilaterally closing churches, closing your business, telling you what to wear, telling you where you can go, telling you you can't walk on the street without a mask in certain counties. Um, I've never seen something like that in the United States, uh, not in my lifetime. I think it's the most authoritarian thing we've seen. And they did it because we were all scared. Most people were scared. And uh, that's exactly when we need those laws to work. No one really needs protections when nothing's going on. You need those protections when someone's trying to take them away. And most people just completely, you know, acquiesce to what these authorities wanted. And they still are doing it to some extent. Um, That is scary stuff because we might have even a bigger uh, you know, emergency happen. And then I, I just don't know if the people will be able to resist or want to resist. Speaking of David Harsani, senior writer at National Review, David, uh, you know, Kamala and Joe both gave speeches over the weekend. The media, they're trying, but they're clearly they, they recognize that there is an enthusiasm gap with this administration. Do you think that that's going to do you think that that's going to cost them politically? You, you think that this is going to matter? Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, I I just don't believe for a second anyone was excited about Joe Biden becoming president. He's been around forever. He's not uh, he's not a talented politician in the way many other presidents have have been. And he's not as charismatic, frankly. It's not to say he can't do a good job, whatever. I'm just saying just as a person, he's that's not that charismatic. And Kamala, no one likes her. No one has liked her. What she get? Four percent, I think, when she ran. Um, Did she make it to Iowa? You know, it's you know, I mean, she made it to Iowa and that was it. Right. I think one state. So um, she's never been popular. Um, I think her I think her popularity uh, polling is like under, you know, is, is underwater by a, a decent amount. Um, so I think that that matters. I mean, I listen, vice president's not that important. But in the long run, I think Biden's a little different situation simply because he's much much older. And I think people think about the vice president a little more. And that's just a fact. So it matters. So. Um, when it comes to the midterms coming up, I just don't see him 
saving the House. I mean, I hate to make predictions, but I just don't see him saving the House, at least for for Democrats. Not, you know, I don't think there's anything he's going to be able to do that's going to excite people not to vote uh, for Republicans in certain districts. David Harsani, NationalReview.com for his latest. David, always good to have you, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you.